If you brought your Bible with you this morning, go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 13. Quick show of hands, who's been here since, uh, what was it, Thursday night, first session? Look at that. Do you realize that you have, as of this moment, heard more good anointed word than most people will hear in a lifetime? I don't know if we have been quick to appreciate that enough. Just when you hear two or three good messages on faith and something that'll stir in your heart and you find out who God is and what he's done for you. If you hear, I don't know, an hour or two of that, you have already heard more than most people on the planet will hear before they die. These things are precious, ladies and gentlemen. These things are awesome. These are not things to be taken lightly. And we used to just think it was you know, same old, same old to get together like this. But we've seen in the last year, just to be able to assemble like this is precious. It's valuable and we don't need to take it for granted. So thank you for coming and thank you for taking the time to spend in the word of God. And thank you for giving me a little extra time last night. I walked away thinking, man, you, you, <laughs> you preached a little long there, brother. Uh, you do know who my grandfather is. Have you met him before? We Copeland Pearson people, uh, it's hard for us to find that off switch sometimes. Um, but like I said, these are precious opportunities and we want to get everything from the Lord that he would have for us. Matthew chapter 13, Father, we thank you again today for your word. You've already done good things and said marvelous things to us in our time together. And Father, we look to you again to speak to us by your word and by your spirit. We will be quick to see, we'll be quick to hear. And uh, we thank you for the voice of our good shepherd, Jesus, who speaks to us. And we long to see him today for who he is and, and to hear his voice, understand more about who we are in him and who he is in us. And we thank you for the good work you've begun in us. We call you faithful to finish it. You're the author and the finisher of our faith. You've done good things. You're doing great things and greater things are yet to come. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 13. In my time with you, uh, we've been asking and answering this question that I know you've asked before, I've asked before, and countless others have asked, why isn't this working? And what that is, is the voice of frustration. And we're answering that question, but I want you to, first of all, notice and, and, and pick up on something when you hear yourself asking that, why isn't this working? This isn't working. This isn't working. Uh, don't be quick. And don't be too long to just hang out right there because frustration is not faith. You can't be in both at the same time. You need to make a choice. And the scripture's clear about it. Faith works. You probably need to say that out loud. Faith works. But it works by love, right? Faith works by love. I think another way you could say that is your faith will work when you know how much you're loved. Where there is no revelation of love, there will be no operation of faith. Where there is no revelation of love, when you don't have a revelation of how deeply you are loved by God, there can be and will be no operation of faith. And the greater the revelation of love, guess what? The greater the operation of faith. So when you're asking this question, why isn't this working? 
You need to find out from the word why it's not working. And don't just accept tradition's answers and religion's answers because it's not truth. And like we said, what was it, a day or two ago, the answer is not, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. The answer is not, it works for some and not for the others. The answer is not, God in his sovereignty has chosen that it would work for these and not for those. Folks, if that's the truth, I'm done. I'm serious about that. I quit. Because what hope do we have? Huh? No, that cannot be the truth. The truth is God has made known in his word what his word is, what his word's capable of doing, and what it's capable of reproducing in your life. And Jesus even made it clear, look, if it's not working, here's the issue. And that's what Matthew chapter 13, Mark chapter 4, Luke chapter 8 is all about. We call it the parable of the sower. You, really, you could call it the parable of the seed. You could call it the parable of the ground. But I want to look at it one more time together in, in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus told this parable, he said in verse 3, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some seed, or some of the same kind of seed, fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, everybody say, no root. Because they had no root, they withered away. And then some of the same kind of seed fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground, good ground. Now, if you were to stop after those first three kinds of ground, you might think something's wrong with this seed. Why? Because it's not working. Why is it not working? It's not producing anything. But like we said last night, the moment this seed fell on good ground and produced fruit, now you know nothing's wrong with this seed. Now you know it goes back to the ground that it was sown into. And Jesus said in verse 9, well, look at verse 8, others fell on good ground, yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30, and he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not been given. For whoever has, and we talked about this, he's talking about understanding, revelation, heart understanding. Whoever's got a revelation that this is more than just some preacher out there preaching, this is Jesus talking. This is the Messiah. This is the embodiment, the living will and purpose and power of God. Everybody saw a preacher. Very few saw Jesus. Everybody heard the words that came out of his mouth, but very few let those words get in their heart. He said, whoever uh, has or has that understanding, who has that revelation to him, more will be given and he'll have in abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables because seeing they don't see, hearing they don't hear, they don't understand. In them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and will not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. Now that is frustrating, isn't it? To keep looking at something and just not, it's not sinking in. I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see it. I'm reminded of algebra. Long about junior high. And man, that was an uphill climb for me. 
And I remember sitting at my dad's desk in his office looking at these algebraic equations going, why don't I get this? Why don't I get this? And I thank God for godly parents, parents who raised me in a household of faith, the one I've lovingly and affectionately referred to as the household of faith. And we did everything by faith. We did algebra. Guess how? By faith. And I remember sitting at that desk and my parents saying, if you don't get it, pray in the Holy Ghost. Now, I guarantee you, I grew up at a Christian school, but I guarantee you that was not what every other parent was saying to their junior high students at home. Pray in the Holy Ghost. They said, if you're not getting it, pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Holy Ghost. What's the word say, Jeremy? What's the word say? What's the word say? I don't know. Tell me. <laughs> then I'll know. And that's what it was like growing up in this house. But they would tell me, you have the mind of Christ. You've been made of quick understanding. You've got an unction from the Holy One. You know all things. Would algebra be included in all things? So instead of just sitting there frustrated, get out of the flesh and into the spirit. Even with this simple, this stuff, not simple, but this stuff you're trying to learn. And I'll never forget the moment I'm sitting there and all of a sudden something clicked. And for the first time, I could see it. Now, I had been looking at those numbers over and over and over and over, but now I see it. Now there's understanding. I'm telling you, the Lord is good. He'll help us with these things, things that you might not think God would care anything about, but he cares about you and your teenagers and their algebra and their relationships. And, and as long as we'll train them in a house of faith to do everything they do by faith out of, out of a revelation of how much they're loved by God, not just loved by you, but loved by God himself, that faith will grow in them and they will approach and attack everything in this life in faith. Well, all right. I thought it was all right. You don't have to live frustrated. You don't have to keep living, hearing but not understanding, seeing but not perceiving. But that's what was going on in these people. He said in verse 15, the hearts of this people have grown dull. That means insensitive, unfeeling, hard-hearted. That's a big problem. Other places in scripture reveal to us this is something that actually makes God angry. Jesus himself got angry over the hardness of people's hearts. We don't like to think about him experiencing that emotion, but he did and he does. Now, I thank God his, his anger is so brief, it's so short. It's his mercy that endures forever. But these things he's not satisfied with. I mean, you think about it. We're reading a parable here about his ever-living, undying um, incorruptible word seed and everything that's in that seed and what it's capable of producing and reproducing. The seed is a miracle, man. There's so much life in it. And he's telling us, Jesus, out of the mouth of Jesus, out of the mouth of the word made flesh, this parable is bigger than we've known. His disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And, and I believe it was in, it may have been this account or Mark's. He said to them, if you don't understand this, how will you understand any of them? There were big things in this. But think about it. It makes sense, doesn't it? Jesus, the word made flesh, is preaching 
the Word. The Word is preaching the Word. And what's the subject of his message this day? The Word. The Word is preaching the Word about the Word. If faith was ever going to come, it was going to be this day. Because that's how faith comes. From hearing the Word, preach the Word, about the Word. Their ears, their heart of hearing, their eyes, they have closed. They did it. An act of their will. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn. And I should heal them. But blessed, he said, are your eyes. Somebody say, my eyes are blessed. Why would they be blessed? I see Jesus. I value him. I honor him. I see him for who he is. I believe he is who he said he is. Your eyes are blessed. Say this, my ears are blessed. Why would your ears be blessed? Because you hear the word and it, and it makes sense to you. And I'm not just talking about mental sense. Your spirit grabs a hold of it. That's a blessing. And we don't realize what a blessing that is. You don't realize what a blessing it is to be able to open the word of God and administer life to you and administer strength to you. Do you know how many people all over the world open the word and don't get a thing out of it? It's dry to them. It's lifeless to them. And they give up on it, frustrated, and they walk away. You don't know what a blessing it is to have eyes that actually see something, ears that actually hear something. Now, anybody and everybody's capable of that, but it's like we've talked so much about already. You've got to get out of the flesh and into the spirit. That's where the revelation is. That's where you see Jesus for who he is. That's where you hear his voice. We've got to quit waiting and wanting to hear something with these two things. Got to quit waiting and wanting to see something with these eyes. Brother Andrew said it just a moment ago. God, God will show himself in those places, but not first and not foremost. You can live your whole life and never see an angel and, and never see God in the flesh and never hear the audible voice of God and have such a deep and thriving fellowship and relationship with him. You don't have to have all that other stuff. Now, if he wants to do it, I'm open, Lord. You want to come walking in the room? I'm open to it. But I'm not sitting here begging for it because he said it's better for me if he goes away so that he could send the help that I need, the Spirit of God. Blessed are your eyes for they see, your ears for they hear. Assuredly, I say to you, many righteous or many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, to hear what you hear and didn't hear it. He said, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. I thought they all just heard the parable. No, they heard it, but they didn't hear it. I wish I knew another way to say that. But you know what I mean, don't you? They heard it, but they didn't hear it. If you've got teenagers, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, they heard the words you said, but did they get in? Huh? Forget teenagers. Ladies, if you are married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. All right, okay. Anybody in here familiar with TV face? You know what TV face is? Ladies, you've seen it before. Your husband's sitting there Sunday afternoon. He's watching the game. He's super into it. You come in from the other room and you've, you need to say something to him. And you start talking. And his head turns towards you. But his eyes never leave the screen. 
and he, we, think that's fooling you. Come on, help me out, ladies. Is that fooling anybody? No, that's not fooling anybody. And yeah, we hear the words, but are they getting in? Why not? Listen, divided attention, distraction. You want to know why the word's not working? Are you paying attention to it? My son, attend to my word. Incline your ear to my saying. Keep him in front of your eyes. Get him in the midst of your heart. So now he's going to preach the parable. Now hear the word of the parable or the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word, the sower sows the word. That seed that he was talking about was the word. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand it or doesn't value it, doesn't honor it, doesn't esteem it, he said the wicked one comes and steals it. It's like leaving something precious and valuable unprotected. Valuable things left unprotected get stolen. This is why you can't leave, I don't know, a box of gold in the front yard overnight and be surprised when it's not there in the morning. Honey, have you seen my gold? Can't remember what I did with it. Baby, it's gone. Why? Because you left something precious and valuable unprotected. Why would we do that? Well, namely because we don't see the value in it. And if you don't see the value in the Word of God, you won't honor it. And if you don't honor it, then it remains unprotected. And that's what Satan's looking for. He's looking right now. This meeting has been all about one thing, you hearing the Word of God. And Satan goes about look, uh, like a roaring lion looking for the ones he may devour. Do you know who he can devour? The people who didn't let the Word get in. He comes along and says, I'll take that. And it's like you never heard it. What happened? It's like seed falling on wayside. It never penetrated the earth. It just laid on the surface and like birds come and devour it. Satan comes immediately and just, just takes away. It's the easiest stealing there is to do. It's unprotected. How do you honor it? How, or how do you protect it? You honor it. Martha got all upset at Mary. You remember that? Jesus had come to Martha's house and he's preaching and the Bible says Martha had a sister who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. That means at least at some point Martha was right there next to her. But she got distracted, divided attention. She had this thought that came and said, he's been preaching a while. These people are going to be hungry. He's going to be hungry. This is my place. I'm going to have to feed them. And that word distracted, Martha was distracted, literally means to be driven about in the mind. And she got up and left that place where she was at his feet and went into the kitchen and started making food, got overwhelmed by it, tried to get Mary's attention. Get in here. Hey, come help me. And she's ignoring her. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And it got to the point where Martha was so upset by it. The Bible says one translation said, bursting in upon him, assumed a stance over him. Talking about Jesus. And said to him, you don't care that my sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her to come help me. And that's when Jesus called her name twice. You know you in trouble when he says your name twice. He said, you are worried 
and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary's chosen the good part. And listen to what he said. It won't be taken from her. How did she secure what he said that day? She just valued it. She honored it. She literally brought herself low to his feet, gave him a place of honor. So you got Martha standing over him and Mary at his feet. One of these is right and one is very, very wrong. And she got distracted with much serving. If you look that word serving up, you want to know what it literally means? Ministry. She got distracted by her own ministry. You know what that says to me? Ministry is a bad substitute for intimacy. Because that was the environment that he was in. This was not... This was Jesus is standing here this day preaching, what, from the bow of a ship or out on a mountain. He would stand in synagogues. He's been in basically every imaginable environment, and he's preached to thousands. And when he's in those synagogues, there's religious people that are there looking for him to mess up, waiting for him to break a law so that they could have something to accuse him. That's not, this environment he's in today is not like any of those. He's been welcomed into a home. That's an intimate environment. And those of you in ministry know this, atmosphere matters. There are certain things you can say in a place that you can't say somewhere else. It's like, well, why don't you just say it? You can't. Where there's no openness to it, no receptivity to it. It's like hitting a wall, like hitting a wall. But right on the other hand, you come into a place like this where you've got a few hundred people in the room who are here by choice and excited about it and, and hungry for it. I'm telling you, revelation has flowed these last few days. That's not just because of a preacher. That's because of hungry people, expectant people. Atmosphere matters. The atmosphere of your home matters, which is why you ought to say, there is no strife allowed in this place because strife is the manifest presence of the devil. If love is the manifested presence of God, then strife is the manifested presence of the devil, and we don't want any of that in this place. Jesus is in a home. It's an intimate atmosphere. Everybody's close together, but she got distracted. Isn't it amazing to you that if you look at that account in the book of Luke, we have no record of what he said in that house that day. All we know was that he was there. We don't know what he said. Now, the book of Luke is a documentary. Everything Luke wrote about, he wrote as the result of interviews, finding people that were there, eyewitnesses. And it's astounding to me that nobody recorded what he said. I assume that all they remembered about that day was the little spat between Martha and Mary. What am I saying to you? Distracted people distract people. And Luke's like, well, what did he say that day? I, I, you know, I can't remember. I just remember Martha kind of losing it a little bit. This is keeping the word from working in your life. Distraction is keeping the word from working. And distractions can be dangerous. They can even be deadly. And sadly, we're seeing it more and more, even in our own society, 
People drive in a car. Let me ask you something. When you drive in a car, is there anything more important that you should be doing than driving the car? Huh? And yet, ding. These little noises coming from the pocket or the dashboard or whatever. Distraction. And all distraction is, is the inability to decide in the moment what's most important. And if you, have, if you lack the ability to decide right here and now, the difference between something that's good and something that's better, something that's better, something that's best, you have to be able to decide what's worthy of my time, what's worthy of my attention, what's worthy of my affection. And when you're driving a car, the phone is not what's worthy of your attention. The same thing's true about your time and your intimacy with Jesus through his word. There's nothing more worthy of your affection, nothing more worthy of your attention, and yet we're so easily distracted. And it's keeping the word from working. He goes on and he talks in verse 30. He said, there's one who received the seed on stony places. This is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Now that's better, isn't it? Then better than the seed not getting in. This is somebody who heard it and received it. And man, they shouted, amen. Woo, that's good preaching. Amen to that. Come on, preacher, preach it. Say that. Man, I feel like I've heard every imaginable response from the crowd that you can think of. I was in Florida one time, in Orlando years ago. I wasn't preaching in this session. I was sitting over on the side, and somebody else was preaching. There was a lady behind Sarah and I that kept yelling out. She kept saying, that's delicious. <laughs> oh, that's delicious. Mmm, that's delicious. She's just back there tasting and seeing. The Lord is good. That's delicious. And that's a good thing. You need to respond to the Word of God. You know how preachers are always like, come on, say amen, Right? Say amen. We say things like, I like Brother Andrews, thank you for those two grunts. <laughs> and what we're doing is endeavoring to solicit a response from you, but it's not to stroke an ego. It's not so that we can hear you say, oh, I like what you said. It's because you need to hear you respond to the word of God. You need to hear you come into verbal agreement with what God has said. There's power in that. And you need to hear it. And that's a good thing. To receive the word with joy is a good thing. It's better than not receiving it at all. But the problem, Jesus said, though, was that he had no root. He said it got sown on stony ground. Now, that kind of paints a picture of ground with a bunch of rocks sitting out on top. That's not really what he's talking about. If you study these things, he's talking about a shallow layer of earth and then a bed of rock beneath that. And that's why he said it sprang up immediately, but it had no depth. It had no depth. So you know where he's headed with this. There is good ground that produces 100-fold, 30-fold, 60-fold return. But there are all these other kinds of grounds that don't produce anything. Well, what do you know about good ground? Well, you know that it's not like wayside ground. It's not hard. So if it's not hard, what is it? Soft. Tender. He's talking about hearts. The word sown in a soft, tender, responsive, not dull and unfeeling, tender, sensitive and responsive heart. That's a heart the word can work in. What else would be good ground? Ground that's got some depth to it. 
ground that's not just shallow in its, re- in its reception, shallow in its understanding, ground that's got some depth so that roots can go down deep. He said, this is the one that received it on stony ground. They heard it, they received it with joy, but they had no root in himself. And because of that, he endured only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arose because of the word, immediately he stumbles. The King James says, immediately he's offended. He's offended. Why isn't this working? I'm running out of time. I got a flight in about two hours, so let me just make it clear. The word will not work in an offended heart. It won't. But notice why offense came. Mark 4 says it like this. When tribulation and persecution arose for the word's sake, for the word's sake, that's what this whole offense was about. We don't always recognize it, but it was out to get the word. It was out to rob you of the word, to steal the word from you. When tribulation and persecution arose, that just means pressure. This translation we're looking at says he stumbles. Other translations say he's offended. Interesting when you think about what these words mean. A stumbling, other translations say a falling away. Have you ever heard of two people who had a falling out? Let that paint a picture for you. They were close, but something got between them and started putting space between them. And it got bigger and bigger and the space between them grew until there was a falling away. That's offense. They're offended. They were close and now they're not. That's offense. And what the whole pressure, the persecution and the tribulation was about was to put space between you and what was bringing you life. To put space between you and the word of God that was bringing you life. Brother Andrew's seen this, I know, probably countless times over the decades. People who have come along and, oh, thank you for this word. It changed my heart. It changed my life. It changed my family. We'll never be the same. I'm your partner forever. Oh, man. Famous last words. When my mom and dad started pastoring our church, I was in junior high. And, man, there was so much great growth in the, in the beginning of it and so much momentum. And, I mean, it went from... A handful of people to 200 and 500 and just kept growing and growing. One service, two service, three services, so much growth. And there were people that would come to them. I remember this over and over in the beginning. We love this place. Oh, this is what we've been looking for. This is what we've been praying for. We're with you forever. And when you're a new ministry family, that excites you. Did you hear that? They're with us forever. Until until a few weeks later, you look up and you're like, where did they go? Man, forever is a lot shorter amount of time than I thought it was. And it finally gets to the place where people come and say, oh, we're with you, we're with you. And you just want to say, you know what? Hold on to that. Just don't say you're with us forever. If you're going to be here, be here. Y'all need you to say a bunch of stuff about it. But we've seen it, you know, people who make these quick commitments to something and where's the endurance? Where's the staying with it? I know as a kid, like I said, we got to the point where it's like, please just say anything, but we're with you forever. But what happens is people let something stupid get between them and what's bringing them life. 
And Satan knows this. This is why offense is one of his main tactics. Let me just get between you. Whatever's a flow of life to you, let me see if I can get in there between you. And if I can put some space between you, then I can cut off that flow of life between you. And this is happening in marriages. This is happening in ministries. Satan is quick to recognize what is bringing change to you, what's flowing to you. We'll talk more about this in a second. Let me go on here for a moment. He had no root. We could take a lot of time to talk about this, and I actually do think I have a series on this, come to think of it. Um, But what, according to Ephesians 3, we've already looked at it today, what is it you and I are to be rooted and grounded in? Love. There's your root right there. If you're not watchful, you read that and think, I've got to be rooted in my love for you. No, that's the fruit. The root is his love for you. That's the root. Rooted and grounded in how loved I am by God. And those roots have got to go deep. And you've got to give those roots time to go deep. And to hold on, because when pressure comes and the sun is up and the heat is on, you have to have something that keeps you connected to God, that keeps you dedicated and committed to him and saying, I'm not letting anything get between me and you because you and your words are spirit and they are life and they are my life. And I'm not letting anything get between me and what's bringing me life. Amen. I'm not letting anything cut off this flow of life between me and you. I was ministering in a church a number of years ago in another state. And uh, I was in the hotel, hotel lobby waiting for the pastor to come pick me up. And I'm standing down there waiting. I'm thinking, man, he's... He's not, he's not here yet. And I looked at the text. I'm, I'm down there 20 minutes early. And I didn't realize it. But instead of going back to the room, I said, well, I'll just hang out down here. I walked outside. The hotel had a little fire pit. It was kind of a cool fall evening. I stood out there by that fire by myself, holding my Bible, getting ready for church. And these two cars pull up outside the little gated area where I was. And a young lady got out and she had two little children with her. And she gave care of the two kids to uh, an older woman who I just kind of putting all this together. It's her mom. This is grandma. The young lady gets in the car. She drives away. Grandma comes into where I'm standing. And, um, She's very friendly. She's got the two little boys with her. She said, good evening. I said, hi, how are you? And she said, is that a Bible in your hand? I said, yes, ma'am, it is. She said, oh, are you a believer too? Oh, that caught my ear. Not are you a Christian? There's a difference. Are you a believer? We just kind of have a way of talking to each other, don't we? You speak this language? I do too. Are you a believer? Yes, ma'am, I am. Oh, wonderful. What church do you go to, she said. I was like, well, actually, we're in from out of town, and we are ministering tonight at this church. We're literally an exit away. You could almost see the church from where I was standing. And I said, we're ministering at this church tonight down the street. She said, oh, yeah, we used to go there. What does that mean? We don't go there anymore. It's a potentially awkward situation. You don't know why somebody left. She didn't seem upset about it. We used to go there. And then she said, as a matter of fact, and put her hands on the older of the two boys and said, he was healed of autism there. Which the first words out of my mouth were glory to God. But what's in the back of my mind is what? You used to go there? 
You used to go to a place where your grandson was healed of something you cannot be healed of. And then she starts telling me the whole story. Yeah, the pastor that night had a guest minister in from out of town and my daughter was there and this minister started giving the testimony of how his son was healed of autism and he was diagnosed with severe autism but they believed God and he was healed and he grew up and he graduated high school with honors and got a full ride to scholarship totally well and it so stirred my daughter up that she went up to that man that night and he prayed for her and this, this boy, my grandson, had not spoken a word and the next day he began talking. And from that time to now, he is on the age level he's supposed to be on. He was healed of autism there. And I'm just like, this is awesome, lady. What a miracle. And in the back of my mind, I'm going, you used to go there? And then she started telling me why they don't go there. And again, she didn't seem upset or anything like that. She just started saying, these are some things we started studying. We started looking into this and looking into that and just kind of got on another track, not necessarily something other than Christianity, just a different doctrine and so on. And here was the big kicker. This was the big thing that convinced them to go this other way in life. They found out, this is her words verbatim, Christmas is a pagan holiday. Christmas is a pagan, did you know that? Christmas is a pagan holiday. And she starts giving me the history of it. I'm looking out of the corner of my eye. The pastor's in the lobby, so I'm at this point sort of like, well, okay, so good to meet you. You need to Google it. Christmas is a pagan holiday. Look it up. Okay. I haven't, by the way. I got in the car with the pastor, and all this is on my mind, and I just had a realization, Lord, you just set me up. And he said, Jeremy, I got people leaving me and leaving the places I've put them in for reasons as dumb as this and worse. Disconnecting, unhooking from something that was a miraculous flow of life to them. They were hearing the word and it was healing and it was strengthening. It was life changing. And Satan gets in with this little thing. Now, she didn't have any of those symptoms of offense that we normally think of, you know, angry and upset. And yet, whatever gets between you and that flow of life to you, watch out. It's a trap. It's offense and it's a trap. Watch out for the trap. Don't get hung up in that trap. And I've noticed so much of the time that people who are in the trap of offense don't actually want help out. They just want you in the trap with them. Come get in this trap with me. And it's not the ones they're offended at. It's the other people in the life and in the situation. They don't want somebody to come along and help them out of the trap. They want somebody to come along and get in the trap with them. Come on, let's get mad together at them. Let's be miffed together. Don't fall in that trap. You say to them, look, I'll help you out of it or I'll wait for you over here, but I am not getting in this trap with you. I need the word working in my life. I need the seed producing what it's capable of producing. Jesus went on. It gets worse before it gets better. He who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word 
and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Sorry, I'm not done with offense. Okay. What are we to be rooted in? Grounded in? Love. His love for us. Persecution comes, it arises because of the word's sake. Persecution, tribulation, is pressure on the flesh trying to talk you out of how much God loves you. And offense is the result of you making a bigger deal out of what somebody's done to you than the deal you make out of what Jesus has done for you. That is falling in the trap of offense. But knowing the love of God will keep you out of it. Knowing how much you are loved will keep you safe from the trap. What did Paul say in the book of Romans chapter 8? If God be for us, who can be against us? And he went on and he began to talk about what is it that's going to separate us? Is there going to be anything that can separate, put distance between us and his love? And he asked questions. Will tribulation do it? No. Persecution? No. Peril? Nakedness? Sword? No. He said, we're, we're, it's written of us, we're led like lambs to the slaughter, killed all day long, yet we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. There's your conquering power. This sounds like a good confession, doesn't it? I'm more than a conqueror. 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 You know what that is? Idle words. Producing nothing. And as long as you're just saying, I'm more than a conqueror, I'm more than a conqueror, and then you fail, you're going, why isn't it working? Because you forgot to take that statement and plug it back into the power source of it. I'm more than a conqueror through him who loves me. There's the conquering power. In you, you are way less than a conqueror. In him, you're way more than one. But you've got to plug it back in through him who loves me. There's my root. There's my grounding right there. I can conquer. I can be victorious. I'm coming over this thing. This thing is not holding me down. It's not keeping me back. I'm coming over it. I am an overcomer coming over something, right? And I am more than a conqueror. How do you do that? Through him who loves me. He loves me. He loves me. I don't know who the first guy was that started picking petals off of flowers saying she loves me, she loves me not. She loves me, she loves me not. I'm going to tell you something. You could pick every petal off of every flower in the entire world, and with the love of God, it will never be he loves me not. It will always only ever be he loves me, 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 he loves me. And faith works when you know how much you're loved. So if it doesn't seem like it's working, why isn't this working? Go back to how much you're loved. And if that's all you knew, that's enough to be rooted in. There's so much revelation in God is love. And we have known this love. And we have believed this love. And if that's all you knew, that's enough to get started right there. Go back to how much you're loved. He who received... Seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares, that's the worry, that's the anxiety of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. I think Mark's account says when the, 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 the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches entering in 
So every one of these grounds is progressive. The first kind didn't even let it in. The second kind, it got in, but it had no depth, so it had no root. And as soon as pressure came, they were offended, and they didn't last. They never made it out of the building. They were shouting, amen, that's good, that's delicious in here. But out there, because of no root, they didn't last. They didn't endure. This kind of ground, this last one, it got in. It took root, it sprang up, but then something else got in. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust, the desire for other things, that got in too. And what happened? It choked the word and it became unfruitful because something else got in. And Jesus called these things thorns. And if you look closely at it, what were those thorns? The cares of this world, worry, anxiety. You know, worry has a motto and it's this, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Don't raise your hand. I know you've said it. Maybe a couple of times already today. What am I going to do about the finances? What am I going to do about our family? What am I going to do about the house? What am I going to do about the job? What am I going to do about my health? Can you hear where all the pressure is? Can you see what you're looking to when you're asking that? What am I going to do? And that's really what the deceitfulness of riches is too. How can I make some more? How can I make some more? I just got to make some more. I got to make some more. I, 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 I got to make some more. Anything for a buck, right? I got to make a living. I got to make a living. I, well, how can I make some more? Same thing. All the pressure's on you. The lust for other things. How can I get my hands on that? How can I get some more of that? Look at what you got. Yeah, but it's not enough, man. I know it's good, but if I had that, and then you get that, and what do you say? Oh, but if I had that. You got a boat. Yeah, but look at this bigger one. I mean, people live like this all the time. How can I? How can I? How can I? And all the pressure's on you to get it. It's an interesting study, but if you go back to the first place thorns, Jesus is talking about thorns, the first place thorns ever showed up in Scripture, the book of Genesis. Adam and Eve had sinned, and God came and found them. Who told you you were naked, he said. And of course, you know the whole blame game that commenced. Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, nobody took any responsibility for anything. But at the end of the day, God looked at him and said, you know, you, uh, because you've done this and you listened to the voice of your wife and, and didn't heed my instruction, if you want to eat bread, he said, it'll be by the sweat of your brow and you will have to work through the thorns and the thistles. Don't you know Adam just looked back at God and said, what's sweat? This man had never sweat for a thing in his life. It had all been a gift. Of every tree you may freely eat. It's yours. Freely. No work, no toil. But now he said, because of sin, because sin got in, you will have to sweat for it. And the thing that will be in your way are the thorns. He identified it as the... the, the thing that the earth itself was going to produce, the thorns, and they're going to make you sweat for it. That was the first thing that came as the result of man's fall, toil and sweat. All the pressure was now on him 
to perform for it. It was now on him to work for it and to earn it and to deserve it. That was the first thing man lost was that ease of receiving and it was the first thing Jesus got back for us. Now man takes, listen to me, clap in a second, man takes everything he's worked for. Huh? Look what I made. Look what I did. Look at, look at what I've amassed. Look at what I've produced. And we like to take all these things and we, man, we wear these things like a crown, like we're so proud of it. This is, I am king of this domain that I have made. And what you don't realize is that you put on your own head a crown of thorns. And Jesus came and said, I'll trade you. I will crown you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Give me that crown you've been wearing. That crown of thorns, I'll take that. Let me have that. I almost can't talk about it. It's so real to me. And he took upon himself a crown of thorns. Your anxiety the pressure you put on yourself to make it happen in and through yourself, the lust and the craving and the desire that's never satisfied, the flesh that's never satisfied. He said, come on, give me that, give me that. And I'll give you this, my crown, loving kindness and tender mercy. The seed of the word of God cannot produce in the same ground as you working for it. The seed of his grace will not share ground with the seed of your, your self-righteousness. You're going to have to get rid of those thorns. Thank you, Lord. I called a friend of mine one time who was in landscaping, and I said, man, talk to me about thorns. Where do they even come from? Because it's not like somebody's out buying thorn seed. Oh, you know, it would look good here in this corner of the garden. Some thorns. And he said, man, it's so funny you called me. I'm out walking a piece of property right now. And I'm literally trying to walk over and step on these thorns. This guy had been landscaping for years. He said, I guess the earth just produces it. Nobody plants it. It just comes out of the ground. And that's powerful. That's what this natural system just produces on its own. And people say, well, I worry it's only natural. And to that I say, you're exactly right. It is only natural. But you and I were not called to live an only natural life. We were called to live above that, a supernatural life. And we don't walk according to the course of this world. So if you know all of this about the ground that the word can't produce in, what do you know about good ground? Well, you know it's soft. It's been plowed. It's, it's penetrable. And the seed falls into it. You know it's deep. The seed takes root. Folks, that takes time. As much good word as you've heard, I believe you've heard some life-changing things just in the last few days. But what happens in a couple of days can't replace what is supposed to happen Day after day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year after year. And sometimes I just want somebody who will let me do experiments on them. Come to church every week for a year and see what happens. 
Read your Bible every day for a year. Let's see what happens. Come to Bible school and sit under the word for a few hours every day for a year. Let's see what happens. Huh? Tithe. Amen. <laughs> Let's see what happens. But it takes time, doesn't it? We've already said it. That's what I so admire about this ministry and, and others, the endurance, the time they've given it. Glory to God. You know good ground is deep. You know good ground has no thorns in it. You know good ground has no self-righteousness in it. Good ground is not choked out by the cares of this world. Good ground is the heart of somebody who knows how to cast their care on the one who cares for them. Good ground is somebody who's not deceived by riches. Good ground is somebody who's not in love with money. Good ground is, is, is somebody who's got the right relationship with money, not having an adulterous affair with it. But they love God and they serve God and they don't try to serve man. And that's good ground. The seed of the word can't work in the ground where you have some other God before him. Good ground is soft, it's deep, and it's clean. So if you're asking yourself and the Lord, why isn't this working? Go back and look at the ground. These are simple things. And if you've got a word from God, the book of Hebrews says that the children of Israel had that word from God. Here is your land, but they didn't enter in. Why? Because they didn't mix faith with it. You're going to have to mix some faith with what you've heard these last couple of days. Stir some faith in it. Faith is that compound. It's that chemical, man. You might have something that's safe on its own, but when you mix that compound with it, it becomes explosive. Faith is that compound. Praise the Lord. Did you get anything out of this today? Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text Legacy in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you and remember... You are always welcome here in the House of Faith.